I always tell my students that I'm a man that likes to get started on time because then that means that we can finish on time and that's, that, that's a good thing. Uh, before we get started, uh, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning uh, to study yet another uh, great hymn of the faith, Lord, that you and your good providence is allowed to be uh, passed down to us uh, as a means to uh, learn and to uh, praise and bring honor to you. Bless our time this morning as we learn about this hymn uh, and help uh, us to appreciate it more in the future as we sing through these words. And it's in your precious Son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. So, as we continue through this short series on the hymns of the faith, we're going to visit a very popular and familiar Christmas carol, Silent Night. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is John Reams. Uh, I'm a member here at Grace and I also volunteer with the music ministry uh, as an instrumentalist and choir director. Uh, and, and as the choir director, I think it's interesting to point out that um, we do choir twice a year, once at Christmas and once at Easter. Uh, and I think, is it not a wonderful gift uh, each year to remember God's great acts of redemption, especially the incarnation of His Son at Christmas and Christ's death and resurrection at Easter? So as we consider during this season why Jesus had to come in the flesh, that He lived and died and was raised from the dead, we remember that He came to undo the effects of the fall. He came to usher in a new creation, basically, which would ultimately be safe from the effects of sin. Uh, so I just want to encourage all of us, uh, chief among uh, myself, uh, to remember this uh, and that we want to pay special attention during this season as we sing some of these carols that we've sung so many times throughout our lives that so many of these carols have such marvelous words. Uh, and as you can imagine, it can become easy to say or sing words and have no idea what you're saying or singing. Uh, so this is something that we want to uh, give a little extra attention to as we go through this season. Uh, so with that, we're going to move on to our hymn for today, Silent Night. I want to make two quick points about talking about Silent Night. <clears throat> and you see, of course, we have the, uh, the English, and then since it was originally composed in the German language, we have uh, the German as well. Uh, and I'll probably waft back and forth between uh, the titles as I go through this. Uh, so two quick points. First, this is a very easy one uh, to go over because everyone knows it. Point one. Point two. This is a very hard one to go over because everyone knows it. All right. Um, so first of all, is this title correct? Is that title correct? Uh, well, there's, there's a lot deeper explanation to it, uh, but if you look in your Trinity hymnal, uh, you'll see that it's not exactly the same. So basically, this title is not nearly exciting enough. But wait, you might say, how can a, how can a song titled Silent Night be exciting? Well, add exclamation points, right? Um, Silent Night has been translated into at least 300 languages and was de designated by UNESCO, uh, which is the United Nations, make sure I get this right, 
the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization as a, quote, treasured item of intangible cultural heritage. Uh, and the United Nations, of course, misses the point when they go on to say that this is a song that should not be limited to one faith, but since uh, limited to one faith, but to all, since all ways lead to God. Which technically is true, right? It's just that all the other ways leads to God's judgment. But the Bible tells us the only true and life-giving way to the Father is through Jesus, John 14, 6. There are thousands of arrangements of Silent Night, ranging from heavy metal to gospel, uh, including a beautiful little piano arrangement uh, that uh, my Abigail just performed not that long ago. And uh, I actually at one point asked her if she'd come up and play it, and the look in her eye was all I needed to say, okay, no, never mind. Uh, you... So... As a student of music history myself, uh, I'm particularly interested in the rise and popularity of this song from a tiny little church in Austria, and then it moves to the entire world where it's been sung for centuries. And that's a fascinating, that's a fascinating point. I won't spend too much time on this, but it's certainly worthy of note. Real quickly, hang with me. It was first sung on Christmas Eve, 1818. A visiting organ repairman, Carl Maurocker, heard the song that night because he was actually visiting that church working on their organ, and he heard this when it was first sung. And then he went back to his home, which was in the uh, Siller Valley near Tyrol, Austria. Maurocker sung it to a family of singing sisters, the Strassers, uh, who seemed to have been something vaguely like the Van Trapp family in The Sound of Music. The Strasser sisters incorporated Silent Night into their repertoire as they traveled around German-speaking Central Europe selling gloves and trilling songs. That was an old term used for singing songs, uh, trilling songs. From there, the Strassers and another musical family, the Rainers, and they're important later, began to include the tune in their shows. The song then became popular all across Europe. Amazingly, Still in Nacht became Prussian King Friedrich Wilhelm IV's favorite Christmas carol. Uh, and if you don't know why that means something, go read about German dualism uh, during this time and, and, and you'll see why. So how did it make its way to America? The still German version of the song became popular in the United States two decades before it was actually translated into English. Um, because if you remember during this point in history, German uh, speakers were immigrating to America by the millions. Uh, so Still a Nacht was performed for the first time in, in America at the Alexander Hamilton Monument in Central Park, Manhattan by the Rainer family, uh, one of the groups of singing sisters, uh, and they did this in 1839. It was ultimately translated into English by John Freeman Young in 1863, and uh, however, he only actually translated the first three verses. Of course, when Moore wrote this, there were six, six verses, but he translated the first three. Um, and there are many, many translations into English that have been done through the years, but his is the most common. Uh, in fact, uh, it is uh, in our hymnal, um, and I don't know if he gets credit for this, but in our, in our hymnal, the first three verses uh, were translated by Young. Um, 
And uh, it's interesting, by the way, uh, Young was actually a priest who was uh, originally uh, ordained in Tallahassee, Florida, so not, not that far away. Um, and then the fourth verse in our hymnal, we're not exactly sure uh, who translated that, but it's, uh, uh, that's, that's the one that's in our hymnal. Also, German-speaking missionaries spread the song from Tibet to Alaska and translated it uh, into their local languages. Again, as I said earlier, it's been translated into over 300 languages. I want to step aside just for a minute, again, as a fan of history, that there was one famous singing of this in World War I. During the Christmas truce of 1914, and for our history buffs in the room, you might, you might be familiar with that, when German and British soldiers on the front lines in Flanders put down their weapons, and on Christmas Eve, 96 years after the first singing of Silent Night, enjoyed Christmas music together that started with a singing of Silent Night. Now, I should ask this. Is this a legend? Is it reality? Or is it somewhere in between? There is a more fantastical version of the event, by the way. Right, uh, that you can find it all over the internet because we know that you find all best truth on Wikipedia. Um, but there's a very fantastical version of this story where there was a miraculous, sto uh, miraculous stoppage of hostilities, and just like that, the soldiers lit candles, sung Silent Night, drank eggnog, and exchanged white elephant gifts. Um, and then they went right back to shooting at each other. All right? So that's, that's one extreme. Uh, there's also the temptation of the cynic to say it didn't happen at all, right? Since it was such a fantastical story, we have to say, no, 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 it didn't happen at all. Um, nothing like it ever happened. There was, no, there was no truce, there were no soldiers, there was no singing, no war, no space-time continuum as we know it, all right? So that's the other extreme. So as you would expect, it's somewhere in between. This slide shows British and German troops meeting in no man's land during one of these uh, many similar incidents along the 500-mile stretch of the Western Front. Um, I believe as you look at that, the British troops here are from the Northumberland Hussars, uh, the 7th Division. So the account of Silent Night, to the best of our knowledge, is thus. It is recorded that enemy soldiers greeted each other in the no man's land that was a killing zone the day before. The soldiers wished each other Merry Christmas, and they agreed not to fire on each other um, on Christmas Day. So then on December 24th, 1914, uh, in the middle of a freezing battlefield in France, British troops watched in amazement as candlelit Christmas trees began to appear above the German trenches. The glowing trees soon appeared along the length of the German front. Um, Henry Williamson, he's a young soldier with the London Regiment, wrote in his diary, and I quote, From the German parapet, a rich baritone voice had begun, begun to sing a song I remembered my German nurse singing to me. The grave and tender voice rose out of the frozen mist. It was all so strange, like being in another world, to which one had come through a nightmare, end quote. And of course, that song that he sung was still a night. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is quiet. Another British soldier wrote, and I quote, they finished their carol, and we thought that we were out to retaliate. So we sang the first Noel, 
And when we finished, the Germans began clapping. And they struck up, O Tannenbaum. And on it went until we started up, O come all you faithful. And the Germans immediately joined in. This was really a most extraordinary thing, two nations both singing the same carol in the middle of a war, end quote. So the spontaneous ceasefire eventually embraced much of a 500-mile stretch of the Western Front. According to the reports of soldiers at the scene, hundreds of thousands of soldiers celebrated the birth of the Prince of Peace among the bodies of their dead. There were attempts the following year to kind of recreate this, because we know when something really wonderful happens, we'd love to see it happen again. Uh, but the commanding officers weren't quite so thrilled uh, about spontaneous ceasefires. Um, so it was not recreated, uh, reminding us that sometimes there are just single moments in history. Bing Crosby first recorded in 1928. Interesting point about this, and I didn't realize this till I was doing this research, that he was very uncomfortable at the prospect of making money off of a sacred song. Um, so all of the proceeds from this recording went to charity. Uh, none of it went to him. And then in 1935, uh, his recording became the third biggest selling single of all time. So here it is in our Trinity hymnal. And you're also welcome to look in your hymnal. It's uh, uh, number 210. So the text, and these are just things that we can glean from the hymnal itself. The text was written in 1818 by Joseph Moore. Written in German, the text was translated into English around 1850. You'll notice in your hymnal where it says T-R-C-A, translated C-A means circa, and circa means roughly or around. So it's roughly around 1850. Uh, the music was composed also in 1818, which we'll get to later, by Franz Gruber. It's a great name. So we'll talk more about the music and the text later, but notice that the text is based on or inspired by Luke 2.16, uh, among other nativity passages. So a quick run through history of Silent Night. We have all sung this hymn our entire lives. All of our parents sung this hymn their entire lives. All of our grandparents sung this their entire lives. Can I keep going? Yes. All of our great-grandparents have sung this their entire lives. So how far back can we go? Well, uh, as a point of reference for me, my great-grandmother was born in 1888. So I'm confident that she would have known this one, particularly since it, was, uh, it made its way to America in 1839. Now to the two main characters of this history, Franz Gruber and Joseph Moore. So first of all, I must have got the wrong one. His name is not Hans Gruber, all right? Hans Gruber was the bad guy in a certain Christmas movie from 1988 with Bruce Willis. Um, and it's not an accident, by the way, that given that it was a Christmas movie, that uh, one of the main characters was named Hans Gruber. I'm not sure how Franz would have felt about uh, being the bad guy, but there it is. Uh, so it's not Hans Gruber. It is, in fact, Franz Gruber. 
So Franz Gruber, and I'm going to go through this quickly, uh, so hang on. Franz Gruber was born on November 25th, 1787 in the village of Hochberg Ach, which is in Upper Austria. He died on June 7th, 1863. He was the son of two linen weavers, uh, Josef and Maria Gruber. His given name, as recorded in the baptismal record, interestingly, was Conrad Xavier Gruber. Um, and I could not find out exactly when or why, but at some point it was obviously changed to Franz uh, Xavier Gruber. So the young Franz himself worked as a weaver until the age of 18, and then he began uh, training in music education. And in 1807, he became a music teacher in Arnsdorf. Uh, he also became the local church caretaker and organist. In 1808, he married Maria Elizabeth Fischinger Ingelsberger. Great names. They had two children, both of whom died young. In 1816, he began to fill in at a vacant organ loft at the church at St. Nicholas, this will be important, in Oberndorf. By the way, uh, as you'll find out more about later, it's here that he meets a young assistant pastor and talented poet and musician uh, named Joseph Moore. So then, of course, in 1818, he composes the music to Silent Night. In 1825, just to run through the rest of this real quickly, in 1825, Maria Gruber died, and Franz married a former student also named Maria. Uh, they had ten children together, four of whom, I believe, four of whom survived to adulthood. Uh, so as we know, back in, back in uh, this century and before, people were a lot more um, used to death than we are today. Right? Our culture today goes out of its way to hide the concept of death, but it was very much with them in these days. Um, so, in a, um, And then, in 1841, Maria Gruber died uh, during childbirth. The following year, he married again, this time not to a Maria, but to a Catherine Weimer. So, in addition to the music for Silent Night, Gruber composed many other carols, and masses, uh, which are still in print and performed, mostly in Austrian churches. Moving on, next character, Joseph Moore. He was born in Salzburg on December 11, 1792, as a point of reference, one year after the death of one W.A. Mozart. His mother was an unmarried embroiderer named Anna, and his father was a mercenary soldier who abandoned Anna uh, before Joseph's birth. And uh, at his baptism, the godfather was recorded as being Joseph Volmuth. So this is, a mostly, this is mostly irrelevant to the topic, mostly uh, irrelevant to the topic. Uh, but I often think of it this way. As we look, th if we look, as we look down a super highway of, his of a historical topic, you're going to find off-ramps. Many are irrelevant and un uninteresting, uh, and some are irrelevant but interesting. So this one's the latter. Franz Joseph Volmuth is remembered in history as the last publicly judging executioner of Salzburg and author of the Salzburg Executioner Diary, which I, I hear is kind of like the Princess Diaries, but just without the princess. Um, so this diary is one of few surviving executioner records and is a sober, concise, and frankly formulaic list of, uh, of the sentences he carried out. The last entry of the diary is entry number 226, an execution by sword on September 12, 1817, and it was described in his notes as, quote, happy and quick, 
uh, and this uh, uh, was done by sword. Um, so he lived in the same executioner quarters occupied by almost three centuries of executioners before him. Uh, but again, he's the last. In a sense, this is the, uh, the, the end of an era. Um, and there's a good bit written about this guy. Uh, so he's pretty popular. Uh, now, granted, everything written about him is in German, uh, but uh, there's, a, there's a good bit written about him. So it's quite interesting, if not morbid, uh, an intersection of two histories. Um, so anyway, so Joseph Volmoth, our executioner friend, was the young Moore's godfather. And remember, Joseph Moore uh, wrote the text uh, to Silent Night. Um, so what? Well, the parents were unmarried, so baby Moore had to receive the first name of his godfather, Joseph. So now that we know Joseph Moore, we know why he has that first name. I find that kind of interesting. So real quickly, the vicar and leader of music at the Salzburg Cathedral encouraged the young Moore towards music. Uh, as a boy, he was both a singer and a violinist in the church choirs. In 1811, he entered the seminary, uh, although, as you can imagine, a special dispensation was required for him to attend since he was uh, of, of illegitimate birth. He was ordained as a priest in 1815, and then in the fall of 1815, Moore was asked to provide temporary help in the village of Ramsau, and then served as an assistant priest in Mariepfar from 1815 to 1817. It was during this time, this is important, it was during this time in 1816 that he penned the words to Silent Night. And this is also important. Due to the poor health, he was forced to return back to Salzburg in the summer of 1817. So after his recovery, he began serving as assistant priest at St. Nicholas. All right, I do think that's uh, appropriate, don't you all? So at St. Nicholas in Oberndorf, uh, and that should sound familiar, of course, because this is where he met our friend Franz Gruber, uh, the school teacher in neighboring Arnsdorf. Uh, so real quickly, just to finish off his life, in 1827, he became pastor of Hintersee, and in 1837 of the Alpine village of Vagrain. Uh, and here he set up a charity to send poor children to school, and he also set up a charity for the elderly. Uh, Joseph Moore died of a respiratory disease on December 4th, 1848, at the age of 55, and they say most likely uh, this uh, sickness was brought on by a winter walk. So dress warmly, people. Um, his only estate was his guitar, and it's the same one that he used during the very first singing of Silent Night, by the way, and that guitar has stayed in his family. Um, his final resting place is in the tiny alpine uh, ski resort of Vagrain, uh, and there is actually a Joseph Moore school that still stands there today right near his gravesite. It's interesting to note, by the way, in Austria, Silent Night is considered a national treasure. Uh, and if you want to get yourself in trouble in Austria, sing, perform Silent Night in public before Christmas Eve. That's actually a tradition they're pretty serious about, uh, that the song cannot be performed publicly before Christmas Eve. One last note of interest. It was just assumed that Silent Night was the only musical collaboration between Joseph Moore and Franz Gruber, but in 2006, not that long ago, in 2006, another collaborative composition was found in Vagrain, uh, the Vagrain Parish Archive, um, and it is a Te Diem. Uh, it can be heard in an audio exhibit, actually, at the museum in Vagrain. 
All right, so how did Silent Night come to be, Silent Night come to be? Legend, reality, or somewhere in between? There's lots of legends. I've, I remember playing for a Christmas uh, service years ago where the uh, uh, pastor stood up and said, you know, Silent Night, this is how it came to be. The, uh, the young pastor showed up to his church to prepare for midnight mass, and horror of horrors, he just discovered that the uh, organ wasn't working. So he had to think quick and got a guitar and then wrote it out real quick and then performed it. That's not how exactly it happened. There's elements of truth, but that's not exactly how, it's ha how it happened. There's another story where it says that mice had actually chewed through the parts of the organ making it inoperable. There's another story where Gruber was tasked with writing the music, and as he was sitting there... Um, at, at his organ uh, uh, in Arnsdorf, which worked, he was sitting at his organ uh, plucking out a melody, trying to figure something out. I've got to get a melody to put with this text that Moore gave me. I just can't think of nothing. He had writer's block until, again, mice come along. So somehow mice start fiddling around with the organ and certain of the noises that they made suddenly gave him the idea. And then, bam, there it was. Then, then, that came, then that came to him, and that's how we had the melody. Um, and, and that part's not true. Um, so so um, while in Oberndorf, which, by the way, is just outside of Salzburg, uh, Moore shows Gruber a six-stanza poem he had written two years before, you remember, in 1816. Uh, so to the best of our knowledge... The organ at the church at the time uh, was already not working, very likely due to flooding from the local uh, Saltsock River, which you can see part of it up there. Um, in fact, continuous flooding from this river led to the eventual destruction of the church. So the church was later replaced with the, uh, and wait for it, the Silent Night Chapel. How about that? What a coincidence they named it that. Here's another picture. It's beautiful. So I want to put just a little bit more paint on this historical canvas before we move on. Um, fall of 1816. All right, this is when Moore penned the words, and this is important. Fall 1816, remember some of this. This is just after the end of the Napoleonic Wars, and his congregation in the town of Mariatfar was reeling. Uh, Twelve years of war basically just decimated the country's political and social infrastructure. Uh, even the weather was bad. Uh, the eruption of Mount, I think it was Mount Tambura uh, in Indonesia, had caused widespread climate change. The volcanic ash caused continuous storms, even snow, during the summer months. Crops felled, there was widespread famine, uh, and then historians would actually later refer to this time as the, quote, year without a summer. Uh, as it was catastrophically cold, um, and I thought I had a bad couple of weeks. Uh, that's that was that was a rough time for his congregation. Uh, in fact, most of the congregation, who by the way were boat builders and shippers in the salt trade, right? Think of salt, Salzburg, Saltsock River, right? Um, they were boat builders and shippers in the salt trade, and ended up poverty-stricken, hungry, and essentially traumatized. Um, so it was in the midst of all of this that Moore penned uh, these words. And you'll forgive me, these are in German, uh, so I'll just go through it real quickly. But these are the words that he penned. 
And for those of you who read German, you're welcome to come back later and, and uh, look more closely. All right. And again, you'll notice there's six verses compared to how many verses we have in, have in the hymnal. So here we go. It was a cold Christmas Eve in 1818. Check my time here. It was a cold Christmas Eve in 1818, and Joseph Moore walked almost two miles. Matt quested it for you. Um, so he, uh, let's see, yeah. Um, yeah, Joseph Moore walked almost two miles to visit his friend Franz Gruber. Uh, Moore needed a carol for the Christmas Eve uh, midnight mass and hoped his friend Gruber, who was a music teacher, could set the poem to music. And Gruber actually ended up composing the melody in just a few hours. So even though there are several dramatic legends about this night, the simplest and most likely explanation seems to be that Moore wanted an original song that he could play along with on his favorite instrument. He actually wanted this. This was his original uh, desire. Um, he wanted to be able to play it on his favorite instrument, the guitar. Or as we say in North Carolina, the guitar. Uh, so Gruber produced a melody. Check that out. Moore produced a melody. with guitar arrangement. And it's actually written where he has soprano solo, alto solo, although it's not marked on this one. And then you can see the guitar arrangement. And then you can see two verses two through six. He doesn't actually write out still a knock, heil He just puts the line there. Um, but there it is. There's what he put, there's what he did. That's the music that he put to it. Um, so this is actually one of the earliest known surviving copies of The Silent Night and is currently housed in the Salzburg Museum. The, the account goes that the men sang Stille Nacht for the first time at Christmas Mass, but not during Christmas Mass. This again was at St. Nicholas Church. Uh, the song was sung in the church room and the front of the nativity scene after Mass had already been completed. Moore played the guitar. Uh, they sung it. And then the choir actually repeated the last two lines of each verse, and it was apparently very well received by the congregation. Um, if you look in your hymn book on page 210, or on number 210, the rhythm is basically the same, although written in a different meter. It is 6-4 in, in our hymn book, and it's 6-8 up here, all right? Uh, in, both, in both versions, there are six beats per measure, um, and... Uh, except in this one, the eighth note gets the beat, and in yours, the quarter note gets the beat. Um, although uh, it's still very much recognizable as Silent Night, the melody has changed a little through the years. And if you'll indulge my poor attempt at playing piano, I want you to hear this. This is where it's very different. Uh, yeah. Kind of hard to read. Yeah. 
Another fun thing that you'll note, look at the accompaniment. It's a little different from, from uh, what we're used to. Here's the accompaniment. <laughs> Very German, isn't it? I know you want to hear it all together, don't you? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite a special uh, pianist up here who has far uh, more uh, superior piano skills than I have. Uh, so if, if you'd mind coming on up. We'll just do a couple measures. Just so, you, just so that uh, you get the idea. You ready? All right, so that was the original. That's, that's his original version that he wrote uh, for that famous night. And then he went through seven editions of it. Um, and then what I have here, in fact, there we go. He went through seven editions of it, and um, this is the last edit that he made before he died. And it's a little different, but it still retains some of, uh, uh, some of that character. So showing. Yeah, and now of course today in our hymnal, uh, this this what here we in D? Yeah, today in our hymnal, this is what we sing. Ready? So you'll notice there's a little bit of a difference. Thank you. Well done. So you'll notice that there's a little bit of a difference uh, between they would, the way they would have done it then uh, versus the way uh, that we have it now. Uh, so, all right, moving on. Real quick. So when you translate from German to English, you're going to have a hard time. Uh, so the direct translation from German to English as best as you can have a direct translation from German to English, uh, you can see in the middle. And then the one that we sing uh, by Young is on the right. So just take just a minute. I won't give you much time, but take just a minute and look at the highlighted uh, differences uh, between the two English translations. So basically, Young, what he did with this second translation, uh, he, he wrote it in such a way that it communicates the same ideas, but it fits better with, that, with our language and also with the music. Um, and as you can see, I only have three verses because, as you recall, Young only translated three verses. All right, moving on. Um, regarding the music, for a long time, many people thought and many musicologists thought that the hymn Silent Night, the music was actually written by Haydn, Mozart, or Beethoven. I bet a couple of us in this room have heard of those guys. And I think that if I were uh, old Franz Gruber, I would have been, uh, I'd have felt pretty good about that. Um, so the melody and the harmony by Gruber is actually based on an Italian style called the Siciliana. All right, What we sing today is not, uh, but what you just heard was the style of a Siciliana. In this particular setting, it is likely that music is meant to mimic the sound of water and rolling waves. This is done by two large rhythmic beats 
or it could be four, um, split into three parts each. Uh, so in this way, the music reflected the daily landscape of Moore's congregation uh, who lived and worked along the uh, Salt Sock River. Um, it's similar in rhythm, by the way, to another hymn we know that uh, evokes images of rolling waves. Yeah. All right. Now, it's in 4-4, four, four, but you'll see, too, that of the, the use of triplet figures throughout. So it kind of does the same thing. All right, real quickly. I'm not going to read through this just in the interest of time. I want to make sure that we have time to sing through this at the end. Uh, but as you can see, these are uh, some of the verses that uh, were inspired, uh, that inspired uh, more to pen the words. Basically, the lyrics represent a poetic retelling of uh, some of the biblical passages associated with Jesus' birth. It is presented, and this is interesting, is presented as if the singer himself was actually there and was inspired to write the words. Um, there are admittedly not as many direct scriptural references here as we're used to seeing in most of our hymns. Uh, Moore was uh, apparently inspired to write this while looking at a nativity scene, uh, or, or at least looking at a picture of a nativity scene that was at his church. Um, before, before I go through the verses, I, I do need to point out Again, that there have been many English translations through the years. So what we're actually singing uh, in our Trinity hymnal, uh, verse 1 through 3, are by John F. Young. And verse 4 is by a guy named Unknown. Um, I hear he's a nice guy. Didn't cause a lot of trouble. Um, so for your viewing pleasure, and before we look through the four verses that we have, uh, this, these are verses 5 and 6. And this is a direct translation from, from German. So just take a, take a moment to read through those. And if you're not done, I'll keep talking just for the interest of time. I can come back and show you later. Verse 1. So verse 1 sets the mood right away with silent night, but it is a holy night. So take note. Uh, perhaps this is the reason for the exclamation points. Two theological, uh, key theological points are the virgin birth and a holy child. Remember these propositions, by the way, the next time someone says that we should consider it a song for all faiths. Um, also, as um, my Michael pointed out to me, uh, he said that it's very poignant. I don't know if he used the word poignant. Uh, <laughs> maybe he said neat. <laughs> that it's very poignant to note that the greatest miracle in the history of the world, the eternal Son of God, being born as a man, happens quietly, right? In a stable and in an obscure village in Judea. There's a little bit more in verse 2. Shepherds quake at the sight, and note with an exclamation point. Shepherds are out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Silent night. But, then introduce the exclamation points. Holy night. An angel of the Lord, and we remember enough about the angel of the Lord to know that an exclamation point is wholly appropriate here, right? An angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were scared, 
until Gabriel said, don't be. Then a multitude of heavenly hosts or, or herald angels, hark the herald angels sing, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praised God and said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among, and listen carefully here, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Um, and I wrote down a note. Uh, Pastor David gave us a sermon in January of 2019 where he told us that that literally means the people of his good pleasure, which of course implies that those are, uh, that there are those with whom he is displeased. Uh, again, remember this point when this song is put forth as a song for world peace and world love. Theologians speak of the covenant of redemption, where the Father and the Son and the councils of eternity agree to save a people for eternity from their sins. So what is this all about? Jesus, who becomes like Adam to do what Adam failed to do and to undo the consequences of what Adam did. Christ the Savior is born. Now, we don't hear more about the shepherds in this song, but the Scriptures tell us that they went with haste, and from that same sermon, by the way, in January of 19, uh, uh, he made the point that the shepherds, as lowly as they were, felt totally comfortable going to the king. Right? And that's a reminder of us that he came for lowly folks such as ourselves. Um, so it says that the shepherds in the scriptures, that they went with haste for, to find the child. The shepherds told them what happened. People wondered, Mary pondered, and then the shepherds responded by doing what? Glorifying and praising God just as the angels had done. Moving on to verse 3. Son of God. Yes, He is. The second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son became flesh. Love's pure light, radiant beams from Thy holy face. So he came to bring us out of darkness into his world, his wonderful light. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In him we see the love of God revealed. 1 John 4, 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Holy Son into the world so that we might have, that we might live through him. And then my favorite line, and it's always been my favorite line from this hymn, with the dawn of redeeming grace. So if you think about it, that's Christmas. That's what Christmas is. It is a redemption that had been promised all the way back in Genesis 3.15. There's another line from another Christmas carol I think we might be singing today, uh, where uh, the text goes, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That's what Bethlehem is. That's what the birth of Jesus is. It's not the end, or it's not even the culmination, the birth, right? It's the dawn of it. It's the promise finding fulfillment in the birth of Jesus. Finally, verse 4. There's another little thing that uh, Michael pointed out to me is that it must be important if the composer chose to write the beginning of every verse, silent night, holy night. Right? Every verse. Did he do that because he was lazy and couldn't think of anything else to, to write? No, he would have done that for a purpose. This is a choral response 
calling us to sing. So we're going to do that here in a minute. If you want to go ahead and grab your hymnals, um, and maybe we can get a little bit of a light up so, so that we can see. But this is a choral response calling us to sing from our hearts, from our souls to the King. So if you know your sins are forgiven, if you trust in Jesus Christ, if you stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ this morning, uh, then let's join our voices together and sing this marvelous carol. Uh, and again, it's number 210 in your hymnal. End up singing too low or too high. All right.
Beautiful. Well done, choir. Let's say a quick word of prayer. Our preciously heavenly Father, as we reflect on what you did uh, for us and for your people, uh, we're often so enthralled with how you did that. But I think the thing that should enthrall us even more is that you did that. And we praise you for it. Uh, We thank you for this time together. uh, And I ask, Lord, that you will prepare the hearts and minds of everyone in here uh, and prepare uh, the pastor and our leadership, Lord, um, as we come to you this morning and worship you. Uh, We bless you and praise you and thank you for sending your son as you did. And it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen.